0: To avoid fainting, keep repeating, it's only a podcast, only a podcast, only a podcast.
1: Howdy y'all, this is Los Man, and this is another episode of the Midnight Manor podcast. And this week, we'll have some fun topics to discuss. But first, I'd like to introduce my podcast partner, Lady Winters. How are you doing this fine evening, Lady Winters? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Now, this past month, we had quite an adventure. We went to Bastrop, Texas for the cult classic convention, and that was quite an event to behold. They had celebrities. They had booths with merchandise. They had a costume contest. They had quite a bit. I'm going to ask Lady Winters, what did she enjoy most about the Cult Classic convention.
0: What I liked about Cult Classic was it was a smaller venue. You could enjoy buying from the vendors and taking pictures with the movie stars. There was lots of breathing room. The prices that the vendors were selling these collectible items for were pretty reasonable. And I liked the fact that they had bands playing there as well.
1: Yes, I noticed that they had uh, quite a number of bands performing outside, and I know that you're a huge fan of music, so give me your impression or thoughts on a particular band that you, uh, that you found out about, and uh, what compelled you to check them out?
0: So I stepped outside of the convention when I was at Quill cool Classic to have a beer, because I heard that the bands were playing outside. There was a band from the DFW area called Kill for Mother. They're more of like a metal band, but they were putting on a hell of a show. And they were rocking under a gazebo. Like, that tickled me. I, it was so funny, but, I mean, they are so good. If you ever get a chance to go see them and they're in your area, go check them out. And you know what? I got exposed and I was able to discover this band because I went to Cult Classic. That's what's really cool about some of these conventions is being exposed to different artists.
1: Well, that sounds pretty cool. Now, one of the neat things about the Cult Classic convention is that the events that occurred there were not necessarily in one location. One of the best attractions near Bastrop is a uh, little uh, gift store slash museum called The Gas Station. It's where they filmed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or at least parts of the movie. Now, Lady Winters, did you get a chance to go visit this uh, rather famous Texas attraction?
0: Yes, I did visit The Gas Station. So if you've never been to The Gas Station, inside they sell barbecue, they sell collectible items, They sell T-shirts, all different kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre T-shirts, and they sell different kind of posters. They also have some props outside the gas station that you can take a picture by. And if you decide to take a picture by this bench, there's a sign that clearly states, please do not sit on this bench. Exercise some common courtesy. Have some respect. Don't sit on the bench. I see all these pictures flipping around social media with someone sitting on the bench. And you know what? You are right. This is your big moment. You're showing everyone what a complete douchebag you are by being disrespectful and sitting on the bench.
1: I'll tell you what, what was really neat about the gas station was just the fact that you have this amazing location. It it, it used to be a gas station, hence its name, but now it's a museum. Like you said, they have all this neat memorabilia. But when you step outside, you see a van that was Maybe the one used in the movie, maybe it wasn't. But it's just like the van that the that they were riding in. You have the cemetery nearby, which looked so impressive because, wow, there's a genuine cemetery. It's a lonely road. And you know that this is a great location where something happened. So it was pretty cool seeing where one of the most famous horror movies of history was filmed. Now, afterwards, I know you went on some adventures. Tell me about what you saw beyond the gas station and the uh, cult classic. Okay, but I just want to be
0: clear with everyone. That cemetery across the street from the gas station is not the cemetery that was filmed in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was that cemetery is located on a different part of Austin. I did go and visit Kinglands, Texas, and that's where the house is. And the, the thing that floored me about that house was... There's actually other homes around it. And if you watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they're all, if you notice, they're always filming from like the side of the house at a different angle. And I believe it was to keep those older Victorian homes out of the shot. But today it is now a cafe. And the house, you know, when you walk in, you're like, oh, that's where, you know, Sally ran up the stairs or, you know, "That's where, that's where the kitchen is where, you know, this chick was sat on a hook. It was just very surreal. And like I said, if you get a chance, go out there, visit. And speaking of the main actress, I mean, she was so talented because, you know, uh, King, Kingland, Texas, from where the gas station is, that's about like an hour and 33 minutes away from each other. And you have this actress who's, you know, you think she's running from the house of the gas station and she's not. So I mean, she was talented. I mean, I mean because, I mean, right on cue, where she's running, you remember that, where she's running from the house back to the gas station? Oh, absolutely. And she's all bloody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Talking about right on
1: cue. Yeah, it's funny, because uh, the way movies are put together, you could have, like, oh, wanted, you're in one room, you go to the next room without realizing that these are sets. And, of course, you could have locations, like, in Bastrop or in Kingsland, and without realizing that, hey, these places are not next to each other. So... That was pretty neat to see, especially given that a place like, you know, Kings was it Kings Island or Kingsland, is part of the history of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and along with Bastrop, Texas and Austin, Texas, because that's where Toby Hooper and all these young actors and actresses, you know, were from, because they were all college students. I mean, remember this was a low budget movie. This wasn't a big Hollywood production, and yet when it came out it turned out to be one of the most successful horror movies ever made because it was just so raw, so violent. Or actually, not really violent. The movie itself is not as violent as you think. It's just the the mind game it plays with you and the impression and that rip-roar of the chainsaw. And to me, that's why The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the greatest horror movies ever made because it really defined the 1970s. Now, Lady Winters... uh, Last month was Women in Horror Month. And I know I spent the whole month celebrating all sorts of awesome actresses. And I know you mentioned one particular actress in particular, uh, Vera Farminga. She is awesome. What is your impression of Vera? And do you think that she's one of the next big horror movie queens?
0: I mean, I think she's a talented actress. I would like to think that she would be. But I think I don't, like I said, this is just an opinion. I don't see her trying to stay in this genre, you know, because I think that she's going to want to branch out into different movies because she has. But I think that, you know, she has the potential to be the scream queen of this generation, whether she wants to do that and go down that road and, you know, wear that crown, I don't know. But she's one of my favorites because, I mean, she's so talented and um, she's a classy woman too.
1: Yeah, she is. I know Vera Firminga, for those who aren't familiar is a fixture on the Conjuring movies. Her and Patrick Wilson, they play the Warrens. She's also a star on the TV show Bates Motel, which is, you know, based on the Psycho movie. So, I mean, she's got quite a pedigree. Also, the movie Orphan, you know, she plays the mother in there. I think she truly, like you said, she has the potential to become the horror screen queen of our generation. But she's also... A major actress so she may decide i don't want to do horror anymore i may want to do more oscar winning type movies which she obviously has she's got quite the pedigree so i i enjoy seeing her work and i i like like yourself i really appreciate you know the, the movies that she does the roles she does but that's the beauty of women in horror month because it was a whole month of celebrating the amazing women actresses Directors, producers, and even contributors—people who work on movies—to let it be known that hey, women are just a, par- a big part of horror as men. So, with that being said, I know I enjoyed hearing about this act. This director named Gigi Guerrero. She is a, uh, a actually she's Canadian Mexican uh, director, and I know Barbara Crampton mentioned her, and that's how I learned about her. She did a movie called. Mexican Barbaro, or she did a segment in there, and I definitely need to check that out. But she also worked on some other TV series, and she's gotten some traction out there. So I imagine there's going to be some good things coming out from her, so I'm looking forward to that. <coughs> now, in the past week, we had Mardi Gras, and Mardi Gras is pretty awesome. I know I love it. You love it, Lady Winters. What is something that you really most enjoy about Mardi Gras? What, what is it about Mardi Gras that really gets you excited?
0: What really gets me excited about Mardi Gras, it's kind of like another Halloween, actually, if you think about it. I mean, you know, um, you have people in masks, and there's all these colors, and there's beads, and everyone's just celebrating, and it's just my fix that carry, it'll carry me over to Halloween, but the thing about Mardi Gras is the food and the culture as well, like the Creole and the Cajun food, and I mean, it's just this melted, diverse culture that's like a subculture in Louisiana that is part of our American history. And it's
1: just a celebration of life. And the king cake, oh, it's one of my favorites. Absolutely, I love king's cake. I know when it comes to Mardi Gras, a lot of people tend to focus on the party aspects of it, you know, with the women doing whatever it is for beads. But what they don't realize is that there's more to Mardi Gras than that. There's the culture, there's the, 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 the spirit, the, everything about New Orleans. I mean, it's you wouldn't have Mardi Gras Without New Orleans, without the the music, the costumes, the beads, the, the traditions, it's, like, like he said, I think it's similar to Dia de los Muertos here in the Mexican culture, because it's a celebration of death, life, and the fact that, you know what, we're not going to be sad, we're going to embrace life, we're going to live life, and it's obviously the last hurrah, you know, before Lent, but it's always something that I enjoy as well. You know, I enjoy, you know, being able to enjoy good beers from Louisiana. I enjoy seeing the, the parades that they have there, but everything about that is a pretty neat holiday. And the fact that to you, it's like another Halloween. That's an excellent assessment. I mean, I never even thought about it that way, but that's pretty neat. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: a lot of people don't realize that the, the colors and Mardi Gras, those three colors actually represent the three kings.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't know that.
0: And there's so much more to Mardi Gras, but I'm not really going to get into it. But the only thing I will say is that Mardi Gras was invented um, back in early American history. And you should know this. You're a history major. Yes. The Catholic Church didn't know how to get the people in, in New Orleans ready for Lent because there was a lot of crime and there was a lot of things going on. There was a lot of, you know, so Mardi Gras was invented. And um, like I said, a lot of people don't realize that those beads and the colors represent the three kings and the gifts that were brought. So that's just a little side note.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny how traditions and events like that are shaped by the, you know, by, by the symbols that you see. Yeah. the I believe it's gold, purple, and green. And, and that comes to be the symbol for, you know, Louisiana culture, for Cajun culture. I know like we have a restaurant nearby that sells Cajun food and those are the colors they use. They also use the fleur de lis as their symbol. And that's pretty much what you think of when you think of the culture of Louisiana. And I know Mardi Gras was a fun time. I mean, I'll tell you what, you, you posted a picture of a king's cake. I love king's cake. And it's, I was like, we, we tried to get one here, we couldn't find it. And I was like, oh man, you know, you can't really enjoy Mardi Gras unless you have king's cake, but that's okay. Now, I know this past week they made the announcement. Or they showed the first preview for the new Candyman movie. That, by the way, is not directed by Jordan Peele. It's actually produced by him. The director is going to be a, a young woman by the name of Mia DeCosta. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to what is the involvement of Tony Todd because he did play, you know, Candyman in the original movies that were made over um, almost you know, thirty years ago. And if you look at the previews, you know that he's in there somewhere. And even though he hasn't said anything and he probably can't say anything, you can tell this Candyman movie is not going to be without him in some way, even if it's in spirit. I know I'm looking forward to it. Are you a big fan of Candyman like I am? Absolutely. I mean, who's
0: not? I mean, we I grew up during this era when Candyman was in the theaters, you know. People were afraid to say his name five times in the mirror after this movie came out. I don't know, it was probably like,
1: I don't know, like 11 or 12 when this movie was in the theater. Oh, yes, yeah. It came out in the uh, 90s, like 92 or 93. I know, yeah, the the funny thing is the legend of the Candyman kind of draws back to the Bloody Mary idea where, you know, kids would say like, oh, if you say it three or four times, something bad happens. And when you watch the movie Candyman, yeah, it looks like another slasher movie. But unlike the the movies of the 80s, you know, the, the Freddy, the Jason, the Michael Myers, the Candyman had a history that represented, you know, the the racism and the, the the barbarism that occurred back in the day. You know, when you watch the movie, Candyman is a sympathetic villain. I mean, you you feel for him because he was not somebody who wants to be a villain. He's 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 an angry spirit, and just everything about that movie was so impressive. You know, it, it it goes into the culture of Mardi Gras, but it also talks about the racism that existed back then. I mean, it's a sad story. And it would not be what it is without the amazing work that Tony Todd put into it. I mean, he truly created one of the most amazing and iconic horror uh, villains out there. I mean, he, to me, he's every bit as important as Jason or Freddy. And he is to the 90s what you know, Jason, Freddie, and Michael are to the 80s. And I'm really excited to see Tony Todd and his involvement in the new movie. But I will also say that I'm really looking forward to meeting him in May when we go to Texas Frightmare Weekend. Now, have you met Tony Todd before, Lady Winters?
0: I have not, but I was going to try to tell you, I mean, not just the actress and the actors in this Candyman movie, but we also have to think about who wrote it. I mean, that's a talented, you know, writer.
1: Oh, yes, Clive Barker who's
0: also going to be at Texas right That's going to
1: be great because Clyde Barker created some of the most amazing horror characters. You know, I mean, he's like Stephen King, but not quite the same, you know?
0: No, he's different. And, you know, I think that Stephen King's great, but there's just a different level of darkness with Clyde Barker and um,
1: no disrespect. I like, clive barker better ah no i i agree i mean clive barker really elevated the game especially with uh, hellraiser which he's best known for but he's also directed or actually he's written stories for other you know horror movies i know uh the nightbreed is clive barker and i know you posted some some books and stories he also did rawhead rex i believe which is also another story by clive barker Did, yeah so i mean that's it's quite impressive and i remember in the 1990s they talked about Clive Barker being the new voice of horror, and yeah, I mean, not only that, you know, everything about him was pretty impressive. So it's going to be great seeing him and uh, Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen will be there too. So that's going to be cool. So I'm, I know, I'm looking forward to meeting them at, at Texas Frightmare.
0: There's something very unique that, when I think of the Candyman, that comes to mind. When I was growing up, I went to school with kids who were busting from the projects. If you aren't aware of what the projects are, it's where very low income families live. With that being said, I was probably in sixth grade when the Candyman came out. And I will never forget that all those kids that came from the projects were so excited and so happy that they finally had a legend like a monster of their own. And for that whole year, it was nothing but the Candyman. And so I often wonder if Clyde Barker even knows what his short story, The Forbidden, you know, that Candyman was based on. I wonder if he even knows how much that meant to a lot of kids that didn't have a creature of their own. And now, you know, here comes the Candyman. So now that these kids have a monster of their own, like an urban legend. And on another note, you know... That movie score, The Candyman, I absolutely, absolutely love that music score that's in that movie. I mean, every scary movie has that one theme song that comes on, like Halloween has its own, you know, from um, John Carpenter. But I'm a huge fan of the music score in Candyman.
1: Now. One of the other things that um, we're gonna look into is urban legends. And I know Lady Winters has a great story that she's gonna save for next week. But like today when we were talking about the Candyman legend, how that was born of, you know, urban legends and stories, that's a huge part of what horror movies are about. Is you know, you know, when you, you find a scary story as a kid, you know, you know, things like that would normally terrify people. But what is the appeal of of scary stories, you know, growing up Lady Winters, you know, you enjoyed watching horror movies, even though they're supposed to be scary. In your personal experience, what is it about scary stories and scary movies that really got you excited and didn't scare you off?
0: I think it was like the thrill behind it. You know, some people like to be scared. They like that feeling of being on the edge of their seats of what what's going to happen next, you know, and there's some people that don't appreciate feeling that way. And I guess you can say that I did appreciate feeling scared, knowing, you know, what's behind, you know, the next corner and whatnot. But, you know, speaking of legends, um, I think what's more interesting about it is what gives life to them and why are people so consumed or intrigued by them? Like what was the beginning point that gave life to that, urban legend.
1: That that's good insight. I know in San Antonio we have some interesting urban legends and stories here. The movie that came out last year, The Curse of La Llorona, is somewhat based in Hispanic culture. I know outside of San Antonio there's a, a bridge over a little creek and it's called Woman Hollering Creek. And that actually ties into the story of La Llorona, which involves a young woman who was a I believe she was a widow and she had children. She met this handsome young man who she saw as someone who could take care of her and be her new husband. But she heard that he wanted to be with a woman who didn't have kids. So she did the unthinkable. She drowned her children in the hopes that she could be a good wife to him and be able to provide him with children. But when he found out what she did, it horrified him, you know, because why would i want to be with somebody who would do that to her own children i would have embraced your children and the 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 anger the frustration the 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 grief that this woman went through she ran to the river screaming where are my children where are my children and that's the legend of woman hollering creek which also ties into la Llorona because the story goes that she wants your children you know she's 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 upset she's angry she's an angry spirit she did something horrifying and i know growing up we would hear these stories about you know oh be careful or la la is going to get you she's going to she's going to kidnap you and as a kid these are things that scared you but you wanted to learn more about it and it was pretty cool to hear these stories and i know that's one of the reasons why i love horror movies because i love the idea of something that could terrify you and and scare you and Just being able to say, wow, that was pretty awesome. I enjoyed that. And with that, we'll be closing this broadcast. You could reach the Lost Man and Lady Winters on Instagram and Twitter. And remember, when you hear that howl in the night, it may be coming from the Midnight Manor. Keep it frightful, my fiends.